This special podcast episode is sponsored by Equinor and produced by Politico Studio. Several rivers have burst their banks, destroying villages, washing away cars... In and France leading and Spain, to temperatures have reached record levels. Schools and offices have been closed and hospitals... In some cases, the flames, fanned by high winds, were as tall as a three-storey building. Despite the news and the heat, the storms and the drought, the world is moving too slowly to avert a dangerous rise in global temperatures. Oil, gas and coal still made up 81.5% of the global energy mix in 2022, down just 3% from 2015 when the Paris Climate Agreement was signed. Carbon capture and storage, or CCS, looks like an increasingly important technology for achieving net zero. Advocates believe that without CCS, which gathers emissions, processes them and stores them safely underground, we simply won't meet our climate targets. But the technology faces a range of obstacles. Campaign groups believe CCS offers oil and gas companies a free pass to keep extracting and burning fossil fuels. Others worry about the safety of stored CO2. There are also practical constraints. CCS technology, while proven, is expensive to install and needs subsidies and financial incentives to encourage the industry to make the short-term capital investment needed. I'm Adam Green, a science and technology writer. In this podcast episode, I'll be talking to experts about the necessity of CCS, what's holding it back, and where it fits into the energy transition. Ruth Herbert is CEO of the Carbon Capture and Storage Association, a European advocacy group. She talked to me about how CCS works. One of the main methodologies is geological storage. So that is taking that CO2 and pumping it down under the seabed into rock formations. This is what we're looking at in the UK offshore, but it can also be done onshore. And it's being looked at onshore in the US, for example. There are other ways of permanently sequestering the carbon dioxide. So you can put that into products. For example, we have members looking at carbon dioxide heavy cement. This will have more CO2 than normal cement and then when used in the construction of buildings will lock that CO2 in for many, many years, avoiding the climate change impacts that those emissions would have had. The idea of capturing carbon dioxide has emerged out of necessity. Some industries simply can't operate without producing some emissions. Chris Davies, a former member of the European Parliament and now director of CCS Europe, thinks CCS is a necessary means to net zero for key sectors. With current knowledge, we cannot achieve net zero emissions without the use of CCS. We need it to decarbonise those industries which release CO2 as part of their production process. We need it to reduce the amount of CO2 already in the atmosphere. I know there's some people that say, oh, there's magic unicorns and all we have to do is, you know, wait for them to appear and they'll solve all our problems. Renewable energy is the answer to everything. But we have to curb emissions fast and we have to make use of the technology as it exists at the moment. We just have to make use of it. One of our members, for example, is the European lime industry. So let's take lime. We need lime to make cement. We need it to make steel. We need it to make glass. We need it to purify the water we drink. But to make one tonne of lime releases one tonne of CO2. You can't stop that. That's the chemistry. You therefore have to capture the CO2 and, and store it, remove it. And that's, I think, why the agenda's changed. Heidelberg Materials, a German multinational, is one such company that simply needs CCS to operate as it can't avoid process emissions when making cement. Jan Thurlen is head of technologies and partnerships. Cement is made from limestone. So limestone is our raw material 
and limestone is calcium carbonate. And if that is uh, heated up to make calcium oxide, then the CO2 is released out of the limestone. And two-thirds of our emissions is coming out of our raw material. So only one-third of our emissions is related to the use of our fuels. We are working hard to reduce our fuel emissions, but even if we could make our fuel emissions to zero or carbon neutral, we would still have a considerable amount of emissions related to our raw material, the calcium carbonate that we are using. Heidelberg Materials is just one of the European companies powering ahead on carbon capture. The European Union and member states increasingly view CCS as an essential part of the continent's decarbonisation drive as the bloc seeks to support economically important but energy-intensive industries. Ruth Herbert believes that European energy players can make use of their vast experience in oil and gas, from geology to technology. I would say very good progress has been made in some areas. Norway has been a global leader on this, so they have been storing carbon dioxide offshore in a saline aquifer, so a, what was a, a rock full of salt water. They are also very advanced on installing carbon capture on a cement plant in Brevik. Then you have uh, the Netherlands, another real leader in this space. They have the port of Rotterdam, where the Porthos project has now had all of its regulatory approvals, and it's a cluster of projects that will be decarbonised using a single network and they are very close to taking their final investment decision so that's really exciting as well. You've seen the first cross-border CO2 used for test injections so that's CO2 coming from Belgium and being stored in the Green Sands project in Denmark. I think you know if you look beyond the EU, look at Europe more broadly, then obviously the UK is also moving forward at pace now and has announced 20 billion for four CCUS clusters and has announced four regions of the UK that will move forward. Building CCS infrastructure could pool resources and give individual emitters access to best-in-class technology they might not be able to produce alone. Norwegian energy company Equinor is among those investing in facilities to help heavy emitters. I met with Torbjörg Clara Hextat, Vice President for Global CCS Solutions, to talk about the company's current projects to support a European CCS network. CCS is a key pillar in Equinor's energy transition. And, and the good thing is that we're not starting from scratch. So there is a long history when it comes to CCS. We have been injecting CO2 into the ground offshore Norway for more than 25 years, first in Sleipner and then later in Snövit. And the next project in line now is the Northern Lights project that will come into operation next year. And Northern Lights is really about offering a CO2 transport and storage service to industry that wants to decarbonize. And, and we have more projects lining up. Uh, one of them is uh, the Smeahaya project and the CO2 highway project. And Smeahaya project is a... Um, a storage in the North Sea as well, and it is an, kind of an anchor storage that will be used to um, develop a CO2, a large-scale CO2 pipeline all the way from Europe to the Norwegian continental shelf. And this large pipeline we, we call the CO2 highway. And the purpose is really to connect the high emissions in Europe with the storage capacity that we have in Norway. And a CO2 pipeline will really get the scale we need with uh, these high volumes uh, we can actually 
reduce the cost of transport and storage with uh, half compared to what is being offered in the market today. Shared infrastructure like Northern Lights could help bring down the financial cost and logistical complexity of CCS for individual emitters. But more will be needed to make the economics work. Companies need financial support, policy direction and a market structure that justifies the heavy short-term investment that CCS entails. Ruth Herbert again. These are long-term assets. If you build one now, it will operate for 30, 40 years. People need to know that if they start planning to deliver some of this capability, that they are going to be able to recoup their investment. So I think it's really important to emphasise that longer-term commitment, which I think we're starting to see now in countries that have legally binding targets, not just the further out targets, but the nearer-term targets. Those are the countries that are actually looking seriously now about how to incentivize CCS. I think we're starting also to see the economic policies that will drive this. That's been what's been missing over all this time, not the technology, because that's been there for decades, but the economic drivers to value the cost of emitting CO2 and and to value the sequestration of that. So you've seen Germany announce 50 billion euros for industrial decarbonisation. Some of that will drive carbon capture and storage and it's using carbon contracts for difference, which is also the mechanism that's been deployed in the Netherlands. So I think as we start to see individual countries put funding and economic mechanisms in place, I think we will see more rapid adoption. But at the moment, it is patchy. And we obviously, there needs to be an EU-level strategy. And there also needs to be, I think, a lot more pace, given how close to 2030 we are and some of the, the volumes that we know need to be captured and stored by then. One financial mechanism that could incentivise transition is the EU Emissions Trading System, or ETS, which is effectively a levy for industries to pay for their pollution. Chris Davies thinks that reforms to ETS to increase the price and remove free allowances will improve the commercial case for investment in carbon capture. One of the reasons why CCS has not taken off so far, why the investments have not taken place, is because there was no business case to justify private sector investment. And why would you spend billions, billions of euros, building a capture plant and all the other arrangements that are necessary to, to transport and store CO2 if you can buy emission allowances for, what, four euros a tonne? And indeed, you know, that's only for those industries that have to buy them because many industries get free allowances. Now, that's changing, partly, of course, because what the price of ETS allowances, carbon allowances, are, it's about 88 euros, I think, now, and expected to go up more. And free allowances are going to come to an end. So some of the big industrial sectors now are now looking to the 2030s and thinking, we're going to be spending huge sums of money just to carry on emitting CO2. And suddenly, the idea of actually capturing the CO2 and storing it, well, it may be costly, but it may be less costly than the alternative. I mean, the ETS price, the end of free allowances, may provide a financial incentive to to encourage business investment. But to get people over that first hurdle, I think will require public sector support, government subsidies of one kind or another. Subsidies and direct funding are a second financial tool through which the European Union can improve the economics of CCS. Four out of seven projects funded by the EU's Innovation Fund in 2021, which focused on breakthrough technologies for energy-intensive industries, were in CCS. Jan Thurlen at Heidelberg Materials says that funding stream is more practical than initiatives like Horizon, which tend to focus on advanced science and technology. But it could go further. 
The EU Innovation Fund was crucial because before it existed R&D funding schemes like Horizon 22 and then later on Horizon Europe. But they are really for R&D type of projects. You have to build a large consortium and then uh, it's not really on commercial installations focused. Whereas the EU Innovation Fund really was that next step. Also having bigger budgets available per project because we talk about very, very sizable projects. And um, it's a bit of competitive process. And it really has supported significant number of projects over different industries and different countries to get going. Nevertheless, there is still a role to play for the EU because the EU Innovation Fund, ultimately, the budget for a full deployment of the potential is not sufficient. So in last round, for example, in the CCS category, 93 projects were submitted and around eight, nine projects were approved. That means out of these 90 projects, there are a lot of very good projects that obviously will not be put into operation because the essential funding from the EU is lagging. For carbon capture and storage to be accessible and practical, Europe will need to build more storage. This has prompted some resistance from local communities worried about safety concerns, in some case contributing to projects being delayed or cancelled. Chris Davies calls for better public education to tackle false perceptions of risk. I think there's just a huge misunderstanding. I mean, when Russia invaded Ukraine, Europe was successful in building up its gas reserves very quickly. And everyone thought that was a good thing. Yet both gases, be it methane or CO2, are injected into rock for storage. One we pull back up again, one we intend to keep down forever. The big difference between the two is that methane, the one we pull back up, is potentially explosive, where CO2 is inert and naturally occurring, and we drink it in our beer. So what's the problem? I think it can be summed up like this. We need to change our attitudes, and we need to think about storing methane to keep us warm in winter and store CO2 to stop the world getting too hot in summer. Ensuring public consent backed by effective communication around risk, will be crucial. Jan Thurlen at Heidelberg Materials. The issue in Europe is that we largely rely now on offshore storage, which is highly developed around the North Sea. But that is only for a part of Europe achievable. So it is important that we are developing storage locations throughout Europe. We have to work on, on stakeholder acceptance where we as emitters have a huge role to play, but also where governments have to team up with us to express the need and also to show that there's a unique potential for countries to decarbonize and keep the industry in their country uh, alive. CCS has struggled to gain a foothold, despite being technically possible. The economics must be more competitive relative to the cost of polluting, Subsidies and funding are required to help energy-intensive industries afford the initial outlays. And more effective public communication is critical to tackle opposition and negative perceptions, especially around the safety of onshore storage. All of this needs to happen fast. Achieving net-zero carbon emissions will require a massive scale-up. The last word to Torbjörg Clara Hextat, Vice President for Global CCS Solutions at Equinor. CCS is significant and it is... Uh important to address the climate change. And uh, if you look at every modeling and targeting the goals of the Paris Agreement, it shows that CCS is critical. So there is really no chance that we can reach 
these goals without CCS. And one of the scenarios that is often referred to is the net zero scenarios by the International Energy Agency. It indicates that by 2050, you need to capture and store six gigaton of CO2 every year. And six gigaton of CO2 every year is a huge number. It's really hard to grasp. So to put it into context, it is the same size as the oil industry is today. Uh, so that you know, tells a little bit about the scale of this uh, solution. And it also tells us that we are only in the very beginning and we do not have a lot of time to scale this up. I'm Adam Green. This special podcast episode was sponsored by Equinor and produced by Politico Studio.